Yes, good morning, City Lights Church. If I've not met you, my name is Peyton. I am the lead pastor here at City Lights. And man, we're just so encouraged by, by what God is doing here and um, those that are um, coming here to worship with us. And so I just want to say, if you're a first-time guest, we're, we're so excited that you're here this morning. And I uh, just want you to know this, that um, basically there's a, a rule here we have, and that is don't judge us for how we do church, and we won't judge you for being so judgy. Deal? All right, good. Good. Well, hey, listen, we are in um, a series uh, called Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, and this is uh, our fourth week into it. And I'm really excited about um, this this morning. Uh, I want to say this to you, that um, if you've missed a message or just want to hear one again, you can go to our podcast. That's at citylightsac.org. Um, you can also check that out on iTunes, which, by the way, I know that many of you guys are sharing that, and let me tell you why, because we've had nearly, in the past 30 days, almost 500 hits on that. So what that tells me is this, is that um, there may not be 500 people in here this morning, but the message is getting out. And really, that's the point of the gospel is this. Is it's not really how, how big can we fill this room up, though we believe it will be in time as we continue going, uh, as you continue to bring people with you. But it's also about giving people an opportunity to worship outside of the Sunday morning hour from 11 to 12, right? I mean, this is church. This is important. It's very important that you gather together. But if the only time that you're seeking Jesus is 11 a.m., you're missing the point of being a Christ follower. So uh, we just know that many people, you're sharing it. You're getting the help and just get the word out there. So we're just so grateful for you and thank you for for doing that. So if you want to catch up in the series, you can always go back and check that out, City Lots AC, or connect with us on iTunes to to check these messages out. And and one of the things, really, the very first message that we gave in the series, and just kind of set the foundation, was that God gives us boundaries to protect us, not to hurt us. When it comes to sex, inside of marriage, outside of marriage, um, when it comes to just uh, basically living a life that's pleasing to Christ, that's really following uh, a New Testament life, God does that to protect us, not to hurt us, not to make us be boring or, you know, have this, you know, suppressed level of fun. It's really to protect us. And this morning, we're continuing in this series, and I'm really, really, really excited about it. We're actually going to do something a little new this morning um, for us, and I think it's going to be benefit you all as well, because at City Lots, we want to be a relevant church. And what I mean by that is, is um, we want to be up to date with culture, what I mean. When you walk in here, I don't want you to feel like you walk into a church from the 1950s. However, there's nothing wrong with churches that appear to be back in the 1950s, um, other than their 65 years behind the times, okay? Other than that, there's nothing wrong with it. But we just want to be a relevant church. And, but part of being relevant is this. Um, you know, we like to do lots. We like to, you know, give free stuff away. We want to do special parking. But at the end of the day, we want this to be a church where you're going to come and you're going to hear the truth. The honest to God truth. You may, not, you may come here and not hear what you want to hear, but you'll hear what the truth is. And, and so we want to be relevant to our culture and to our community. But more importantly than that, as a pastor of this church, we're going to be a biblical church. We're going to talk about biblical things. And honestly, I think especially what I've seen in this, this series of Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll is that the more cultural Christian you are, what I mean by that is you grew up in church or you went to church or you went on Easter when you were little, that you're probably finding some things out that you didn't really think God thought or that was true because you let culture dictate what your opinion was on these matters. And so we're just really, as we, as we go through the series, we've got this week and next week, which by the way, next week you'll want to be here. Maybe some of you won't. We're going to talk about, is it okay to drink? I think all those who probably drink won't be here or something crazy. I don't know. But listen, 
Uh, it's hard to say. This weather's getting warmer. You'll probably be up to the lake. Um, but you may be surprised by the answer next week, okay? You may be surprised. So um, this morning, though, we're talking about part four. We're talking about the right fix. And I want to just really dive right into it because there's something special happening this morning. We're talking about pornography this morning. We're talking about pornography this morning and the effects it has on marriages, individuals. And um, listen to this. According to the Barna Group, Barna Group is a very well-known um, research company that's pretty accurate and legit. You can trust the Barner Group. It says nearly 55% of Christian married men view porn at least once a month. So, for those of us who are men in here who say we're cross followers, that means, according to this statistic, half of us are looking at porn at least once a month. Listen, that number jumps to 75% when you narrow it down to the millennial age demographic. 75% of married Christian men who are a millennial, 18 to 34, 75% of them look at it at least once a month. Shocking, right? However, men aren't the only one viewing porn these days. Nearly fifty, excuse me. Nearly fifty-seven percent of young women between the ages of eighteen to twenty-four have admitted and have at some time enjoyed watching porn by themselves. So over half of the women from eighteen to twenty-four admit they've enjoyed watching porn by themselves. Now let's just be honest here, and let's let's, uh, let's crush the cultural walls. Typically, when you think of pornography addiction, you think of men. Is it not so? That's not the case anymore. Times are changing. I did some other research and looked up some other statistics. You'd be shocked at how young kids are these days that are seeing porn. Many people think this about pornography. They think it's a victimless crime, right? Let's be honest. Someone who's a drug addict, how long does it take you to know they're a drug addict? After you've been around them. A couple minutes, right? Depending upon what they're doing or you know, bobbing for apples, or if they're on, you know, meth or something, they're, you know, 100 miles an hour, and it's just, like, pretty obvious. They're a drug addict. You see it right away. How long does it take you to know that you're around a drunk? Well, if you get in a three-foot radius of them, you smell their breath, right? It don't take long at all. But see, there's something different about pornography. It's a, it's a secret that lies hidden often, that you can't tell from someone's physical appearance that there's a struggle going on. Many people think it's a victimless crime. I've heard people say this. Well, I'm not really having sex with them, so it's not like. But you need to get your head out of the sand. Pornography is a crime with victims. There's sex trafficking. There's sex slavery for young girls and young boys. I read an article as I was doing some study for this. It talked about free porn is a myth. You hear people say, I'm not paying for it. It's not, you know, I'm not really spending any money. There's no such thing as free porn. Because every time you go to that website, every time you make a click, somebody's making money. And the demand of pornography causes the sex slavery in other areas, the supply. Because it's, it's, a high, it's because they're getting 6 million views a month. They've got to get more kids. They've got to get more women. So many people that think it's a victimless crime, you're not hurting anyone. That's not true. I want you to listen to what Jesus said here. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, verse 27. 
He said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. So Jesus, he's talking to some people, he's preaching, and he's quoting the Old Testament here. He says, you know the law. Don't commit adultery. They know that, but listen to what he says in verse 28. But I tell you, everyone, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And what I love about Jesus is he takes it a step further. He says, you've heard don't physically go out and have an affair. Don't go out and commit adultery. Which, by the way, adultery is more than just a married person having an affair. Something that Jesus is very interesting that we need to look at here. I want to clarify before we really dive into the meat of our morning. He says, I tell every, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman, look what he says here, to lust for her. Now, I think this verse has been taken, there's a misconception about, like, if you look at a woman and you acknowledge her beauty, that that's lust. Can I just be honest with you this morning? When I first met my wife, I was physically attracted to her because I did not know her. Does that make sense? I was, I mean... It wasn't, there may have been a little lust in the beginning, but what I'm saying is I was physically attracted to her. And let's just be honest. I think my wife is, is gorgeous, and, and when I first, you know, saw her and we started hanging out, it was unavoidable for me to see her beauty. So notice Jesus doesn't say, when you look at a woman and you acknowledge that she's beautiful, that she's gorgeous, you've committed lust. No, what he says is when you look at her to lust for her. Are you with me? So it's like this. It's typically, let's just be honest, guys are physical, uh, visual creatures. Um, it's, you know, you're out somewhere and you see a beautiful woman walk by and, you know, something about her catches your eye and you look. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but what gets you is what? That second look when you just keep on chasing it all the way down the mall. Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. When you look to lust. So what Jesus is saying is this. This is, I think, a good word. It says, Jesus is more concerned about the condition of your heart than the rules and the regulations you follow. Jesus is more concerned about the condition of your heart than the rules and regulations you follow. That's what it's always been about Jesus, is your heart. Not do this, do that. Jesus said, I did that and have done that on the cross. I took care of all the rules. It's really about the condition of your heart. We're so blessed at City Lights to have just a faithful group of people, man, who are just committed to seeing Jesus being made famous in our community, who come in and sit up and tear down every week. We're so committed, and we have just such a, a blessed group of people who have a heart to be authentic and transparent. And so this morning, we are talking about pornography, and I wanted to set that context up with you. What Jesus says is this. It's more than, listen, you don't just have to go out and have to have sex with someone. You look at them with the intent of your heart, and you've already done it. I want to set that up because we've got an incredible story here at City Lights Church. And um, this morning, instead of me just preaching a message about pornography, um, I asked a good friend of mine to come up here, and we're just going to sit down and talk like we're in the living room. And uh, I've asked him to share his story, and um, just I want you to hear from someone who's brave enough to share their story. So by the way, we are keeping it real here at City Lights. There are, listen, you can put it on Facebook, you can tweet it, and you can do all this about taking off a mask, real people, all that, but we're practicing what we preach here. So do me a big favor this morning as we kind of dive in and welcome my good friend, Troy Martin, to the stage. 
We've got these fancy chairs and bottles of water. Need like table from my house. Table from Troy's house. We need a camera right here. And I told him, I said, let me sit on the left side because my hair falls good that way. So <laughs> anybody wants to take a picture. Hey, on a serious note, though, we're just going to be very authentic and transparent this morning. And for those of you who are on social media, um, man, give us some love and use the hashtag Troy's Story, okay, as we talk on Facebook. If you're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Um, give us some love this morning. So I many of you have probably seen Troy around, and uh, he helps out on Sunday morning, kind of leads our production, him and the crew, they get here on Sunday mornings, and they set all this up. This doesn't, we don't just walk in here and this stuff just, you know, pops up like the state farm agent. You know, we actually <laughs> have to put some work to it. So, um, Troy, why don't you just tell everybody kind of how you got connected to City Lights? Yeah, sure. Um, it's been a few years ago. Uh, me and Cindy was plugged into a church here in Clinton called Antioch, and uh, we got plugged into a program called CR, Celebrate Recovery. It was on Friday nights. Um, kind of same thing. For some reason, I'm always doing something with production and soundboards. It was no different back then, and uh, kind of met Peyton through that, and uh, kind of started to develop a little bit of friendship with him. We really wasn't real close at the time, and uh, I remember one night at CR, he was preaching a message. Can't remember what it was on for the life of me. I probably wasn't paying attention, and uh, shocker, right? Yeah. That people don't listen to the preacher. Yeah. It's no different now either. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I told Cindy, I said, you know, I said one day Peyton's going to do something, and uh, whatever that something is. We're going to be a part of it. And uh, it was weird because I never really felt any kind of calling on my life. I'd always been brought up in church, but never really had a calling. And, you know, back around that sound booth, I felt that. And really, I never said anything else about it, never said anything to Peyton or anybody. I just kind of, it was what it was. You know, about a year goes by, um, our families had gotten close. You know, we'd went on a vacation together, fishing, camping, all kinds of stuff. And uh, Peyton hits me up one day. He's like, man, we need to go down to Watch Bar and fish. He said, I hear we can catch all kinds of fish down there. I said, okay, whatever. So we load my boat up. We're down there fishing, and uh, he lied because we didn't catch it. We caught one fish, and I think that's just because God felt sorry for us or something. But uh, anyhow, we're, I can remember we was back in this one particular cove, and uh, Peyton just tells me, he's like, uh, you guys, some of you may know his story, story but uh, he said, man, God's called me to go plant a church. And as soon as he said that, I mean, I get him now, and any time I share a story, I do. I got these goosebumps, and I was like, man, a year ago, God told me he was going to do something, and we're, you know, we're all in. And uh, from there, we're, you know, where we are today. Yeah, what, what I love about this is, um, I want to make sure that we stay on track here, but what you see, just, I, I love Troy's start, story about him feeling like God called him to be a part of this, because certainly God birthed it in me, but what we see and what validated is that God was already putting people in the right places, just kind of like you are this morning. God started putting the right people in the right place to make this happen. Another thing I want to share about story is uh, about Troy um, is that he's like Troy's kind of a you know man's man. What I mean is like you're not going to get some bromance from him. You may <laughs> if you get a handshake, it's like one of those awkward handshakes. You know what I mean? Just kind of like a dude, chan- you know, real stiff and yeah, you're welcome, buddy. yeah. And so uh, you don't get a lot of bromance from him. But that morning we were fishing, um, it was just really a, a, a moment where the spirit was just connecting our spirits together and really giving us this this vision that, hey, we're going to do something great together because uh, Troy got emotional that, that morning, and I just knew that it was so genuine and authentic, and I've never really forgot that moment. And so um, I just uh, want you to know that um, that was uh, an incredible moment for me. So as we just kind of move forward, you know, something I don't really feel like churches talk about pornography a lot. I mean, some of the old-time churches will talk about drinking and things like that, um, but you don't really get hear about pornography a lot. And I'll tell, let me tell you the truth. If over half of married men are looking at it once a month, the church needs to start addressing it a little bit more. The church needs to address it a little bit more. So, um, 
Troy, uh, maybe kind of tell everybody like the first time you recall hearing pornography talked about in church. Oh, it was at a, a Johnny Hunt's men conference that uh, Antioch had invited me to. I'd, me and Cindy had just started going to uh, Antioch, and before then we were at a, you know, a real small country church, and so I was thinking, okay, we're gonna go to this men's conference. I heard it was this big church, and I was like, yeah, we're gonna go down there and we're gonna hear the watered down word because that's what those big churches preach. But uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily that. But I remember uh, Johnny Hunt was up on stage, and I kind of wasn't really paying attention then either. But he uh, he said, you know, something about pornography. I just remember hearing that word, and I was like, holy crap! I said, the preacher just said pornography in church. I was looking for the deacons to either go up and get him, or I knew like that Monday they was gonna vote him out. But uh, you know, nobody was affected by it the way I was. It was like, well, okay. But, yeah, it was probably the first time I, I really heard that. So uh, just kind of, man, just, you know, being authentic and transparent, just kind of maybe tell us, you know, really how you were kind of introduced to pornography. Um, for me, and I think it's the same with a lot of men and, and maybe women, uh, it started out young. And uh, I don't really remember the first time I seen it. You know, I remember when we first got cable. That was probably something like that. I mean, I can probably tell him my age here, but, you know, we first got cable, and next thing I know, we had showtime, so I'd stay up late at night and check some movies out. Uh, kids would bring magazines to school or something like that. You'd find it that way. Um, I guess some other little things, just here and there, just, you know, just kind of bouncing back and forth. And then uh, I remember the first time I actually purchased it. Uh, I was 16, because I remember I could drive, and I had a buddy that was 18. We was out running around one night, and uh, we stopped at a, one of the, I guess, adult book, bookstores on Clinton Highway. And uh, he never had any money. He's always bumming off of me. But uh, I was like, here, man, I gave him a 20. And he goes in, he comes back out with, like, this $2 magazine and, like, kept the rest of the money. He's like, no, man, it was 20 bucks. I was like, it was 20 bucks even. He's like, yeah, it was 20 bucks. <laughs> so that was uh, that was probably the first time I purchased it. And, uh, you know, then, you know, me and Cindy got married at a, at a young age. We got married at 18, right out of high school. And... Uh, we didn't have a whole lot. We didn't have anything. We got married, so we was looking to try to build some uh, credit up, and we decided we was going to make a, go out and just take out a personal loan like a lot of people do and uh, use that money towards something. And I had the choice. It's like either buy a computer or a rail buggy. And looking back, I guess I should have bought the freaking rail buggy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, we bought a computer. You know, we get Internet. This is back old school. We had dial-up with the 56K modem. I'm sure none of you know what that is. But, and uh, it just kind of went from there. You know, I'd get curious. At night, I'd look it up or something, and uh, it just kind of progressed from there. Yeah, so talk about um, maybe what, like, initially, you know, when you made this decision, like, you're going to get this computer. Talk about how really the, the, the desire to view porn, like, just kind of creeped in and set in and just what it was that kind of drew you, you know, to it. Yeah. And I don't really know it, what it was that drew me to it. I think it's like with uh, with any sin, with drugs or uh, alcohol, and I'll make a lot of uh, kind of compare this to drugs because from people I've talked to that are addicts, a lot of the similarities are the same. It's just a sin, so it just seems enticing. You know, everybody's got their own. Some are addicted to one thing, some another. So it was just kind of like it took you to your own place. Uh, it was your own escape. And uh, it just kept getting worse and worse, and it's kind of like the easy thing. You, before you know it, you're way in over your head, and it's so much easier to get out of it than it is to get deeper in it. It's just easier just to keep going and seeing what else is out there. Yeah, talk about, I think what's important is that um, for them to understand, you know, t- talk about, you know, what your marriage was like. I mean, you and Cindy 
by your own words, you know, you've always pretty, had pretty good relationships. So, you know, just kind of, you know, set that, that, that foundation of, like, um, you know, let them know what your marriage was like, that, you know, this wasn't necessarily a result of, like, a unhappy marriage. No, no. Um, I, I feel very fortunate, you know. Like I said we got married at a young age, but we've had our rough patches just like any marriage has, but we've always had a good relationship. We just, we always have by God's grace. So it wasn't like there was anything wrong with our relationship. It was, other than me, uh, so it wasn't anything that caused me to go to it. But, you know, it, I guess I'll never really know how it affected us because the thing with, with pornography for a man, it puts unrealistic expectations out there. And whether you admit it or not or you know it is, you can't have a true relationship with God or your wife for that matter when you're into sin like that. You just can't. It affects you. You feel guilty. Um, you feel so guilty that instead of dealing with it, it's just easier just to push God aside. I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to pray about it. Every time I do, it's feel guilty. So it's just act like everything's okay, and it's so easy to hide, like you referred to earlier. You can't tell. You can't tell that, like, a drunk or somebody's on drugs. It's just it's very, very easy to hide. I think that happens a lot with, I mean, obviously pornography, but just, like, sin in general. Um, and I want to clarify, like, a biblical term of sin is doing anything that's opposed to God's will. So, like, if you know God, you should be doing it and you're not, that would be sin. Um, but I think a lot of that, that happens all the time is when the sin comes in our life, if it's pornography, if it's lust, if it's, uh, you know, greed, or, um, you know, some other kind of hurt habit or hang-up, what happens is then, like, this sin begins to, to weigh down on us. And instead of, like, turning to God, which is what we should do, we often turn from Him. Right, because we, we feel so guilty, we feel so dirty to go before him. That's why people don't go to church. I'll never forget, I asked a guy to come to church one time. I've shared this story before, and he said, Peyton, I'm too dirty to come through those doors. And I was thinking, no, 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 no. That's exactly why the doors are there, brother. Um, people, when we get this sin built up in our life and we don't address it, we don't acknowledge it, we just cover it and sweep it under the rug, then what happens is instead of us bringing us towards God, we then walk from him. And then what happens is six months down the road, a year down the road, things are just as bad or they're worse. And, you, and then you ask this question, how did I get here? And then you look in the mirror and realize that you've done it. And so I think there's a lot of truth to that, that sin, off, you know, when we, when that sin builds up, it separates us um, from Christ. So just you know, speaking of that, I guess it's also important to let them, you know, let them know, share with them, what was your relationship like with God then? I mean, you were... You know, you were going to church, you were a believer, it wasn't like you weren't, you know, you didn't, I mean, you believed in God. You yeah. Know. Um, you know, I guess I'm what a lot of people would say, you know, call a church baby. I, I got saved young. I was always in, in church for the most part. Um, but the big difference was, you know, I didn't start to realize this until, I guess, in the last few years. I was saved. I was going to heaven if I died. I knew that. But uh, I wasn't a Christ follower. I hadn't completely, you know, given my heart to him. And, you know, started living my life for him. And I don't think I could until, you know, I confessed this. And it, it wasn't a confession that I could just make. You know, I'd gone up a bunch of times to the little church we was going to on the altar and prayed. And I said, God, forgive me of this. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. And next week it was back the same old thing. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until I confessed it to other people, to my wife, that, uh, that then I really started to have a good relationship with God. That, uh, you know, just like in the Bible, you know, some of my friends could help me out. 
So share, share kind of like, you know, what some low, po- low points were um, as you, you know, begin, you know, actively looking at pornography. I mean, how did your wife find out? You know, what was that like? Um, yeah, she had, uh, you know, it had been the little things here and there. I think she'd ex- expected it. Um, you know, I know there's going to be people out here that can relate to this because 50% of men view it, so somebody in here is yeah. viewing it. You know, you'd forget to delete your history or... Uh, You'd leave something pulled up or just, it was just little things. So she'd, she'd find out, she'd say something to me. It's kind of was one of the things we just didn't talk about it and it went away. And uh, I can remember touching back on this, this Johnny Hunt's men's conference. I mean, by then I've got, I've got two kids when I go to this conference. I'm, you know, I'm a grown man. I'm not a kid anymore or, a, you know, a young married couple. So we go to this uh, men's conference. I hear the whole thing about pornography. That's basically, to me, seemed like what the whole two-day event was on. And, uh. At the end, he said, you know, if you deal with this, come up, see one of our counselors. I was like, there's no way I'm going up and talking to one of these crazy counselors and telling them I deal with this. There's no way I'm going back and saying anything to Cindy. I'm just not doing it. It's like, Forget it. Basically, I told God, I told God no. Like, no, I'm not doing it. And uh, so I left. We kept going to this uh, church called Antioch. Um, and a year goes by, and it's the same thing. I told God no. I was like, forget it. You know, I've kind of figured he'd give up on me and leave me alone about it. So we go back to the men's conference a whole year later. Go back to the same conference. And I was like, okay, I wonder what he's preaching on this year. He's preaching on pornography again. I was like, what the crap, man? And, uh, and you know, I got to thinking, if, if, I, if I serve a God that's so patient that he'll wait a year on me, even though I'm the one screwing up, and remind me, say, hey, you need to get this right. Your life's never going to be what it can be until you get this right. And... Uh, so basically, I went and I talked to one of those counselors. It was the first time I'd ever talked to with anybody about it, and uh, he had dealt with the same thing, and uh, it had led him to a place to where. And I've t- talked to a lot of people that uh, have either been where I at or, or farther along than I am, and I would say eighty percent of men that view it, it eventually leads to a, a physical affair. With me, thank God, it, it never did, but uh, he had he had lost his whole family because of pornography. He'd gotten addicted, he'd had an affair, and it this is where it went. I met with another counselor down there. His name was Troy Haas. His was the same story. He runs a program strictly for that. Um, so he got me in with some material. Um, that night I met with our pastor, and uh, I told him what I was going with. We were still down there in Georgia at the conference, and I told him what I struggled and I dealt with. And I figured he'd be like, you know, you're crazy. That's not an addiction. And uh, he said, you know, it's good that you're telling me this. He said, as a matter of fact, we've got somebody of our church that have struggled with it also, and when we get back, I'd like to see if they'd be interested in meeting with you. I was like, sure, and I was like, I was wondering, so I was like, it's probably going to be the crazy old guy that's sitting back there in the corner I've always wondered about, and uh, it was the associate pastor of our church, basically second in command, and uh, he had struggled with it, and he was a guy I'd known all my life, and I never knew it, and uh, his had cost him a lot more, and uh, we sat down and went through some stuff, and uh, Getting back to Cindy, when I got back from that conference, uh, I sat down in the living room, and the kids were downstairs playing or something. I said, I need to tell you something. And uh, I told her, I guess, what she had always, you know, thought was going on, and just told her I had an issue with it. And uh, I was prepared for anything. I was prepared to tell, tell me to leave, that, or, you know, whatever. And uh, I'll never forget, she just said that, uh, I'm glad you're sharing this with me, and I, I love you. And we'll get through it. And uh, that was another thing I seen God's love in her, of uh, how we were going to make it through it, and how 
hopefully it's going to be okay. Yeah, something that's beautiful um, about what you said, and I think is good for us all to capture is that um, there's so many good things, but just one thing that just kind of stuck out was Troy said that, you know, when he confessed his sin to God, First John 1, 9 says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess them, whatever they are, no matter how big they are, no matter if we've been in them years or days. First John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But James 5, 16 says that when we confess to one another, then the healing begins. So Troy said he confessed and he was forgiven. Then he starts speaking with his wife and this guy, Troy Haas, down there, and this healing process begins. You ever, got, you ever been done wrong to somebody, and you just go, hey, you just, not only do you apologize, but you just say, I, you know, I was wrong. And then, like, even no matter how big it was, you just instantly start feeling better. It's because it's biblical that the healing begins when you confess to one another. Not only when you confess to those who you've done wrong, but those who will hold you accountable, which was kind of what Troy Haas did as far as, you know, giving you some some. Uh, material and so um, talk about uh, I guess just from a practical standpoint um, what are some things that you did to hold yourself accountable as far as you know from like preventing yourself to look at it again yeah um, so mine was it got to the point where it was basically everything was on the internet so uh, and they was pushing it uh, a software package called SafeEyes down there I'm sure there's other things out there but that was the one at the time so uh, I purchased it and brought it home because I think with any sin, any addiction, no matter how strong you think you are, you're not strong enough to overcome it on your own. Um, sometimes prayer alone is not going to help you overcome it. So I knew I had to take some kind of step to make other people hold me accountable. So basically it was a, a, a software we put on our computer that uh, basically monitored everything. And uh, I gave that to Cindy and she didn't know a thing about computers. <laughs> But uh, she installed it and got it all set up to where it monitored our history and, you know, sent emails and stuff like that. Uh, something similar to what, you know, the, yeah. our church uses on our computers. Just keep everybody accountable. Um, I started meeting with, uh, his name was Brad. I started meeting with him once a week. He told me about his struggles and some steps he had taken. Because he said, you know, you can put this software stuff on your computer. But he said, you know, there's these bookstores right down the road. There's these HBO channels. Um, all these other things. So that was... Uh, that was some of the first steps I took, and then just being vigilant about it, knowing what my struggle was, staying away from it, staying away from those temptations. Yeah, so maybe like two things as we kind of take this thing home. What would you What would you tell them? Um, in regards to like you know maybe advice or suggestions for a man who's sitting out here. Or, or someone who's listening, that will be listening to the podcast who's struggling with pornography right this moment. Um, what would you say to him about how to get help? I would say tell someone that's going to hold you accountable. Don't just tell someone. Tell someone that's going to hold you accountable. If you're here, come talk to me. Uh, if you're a wife that your husband's struggling with this, you know, come talk to me and Cindy. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, contact us through our, uh, our email and, and, uh, you know, I'll get in touch with you, but the biggest thing is, for me, a long time, the reason I wouldn't confess was, and uh, I know a lot of people have a hard time relating to this, but if you say, oh, I'm a, I'm a drug addict, I'm addicted to drugs, people can get that. Like, okay, yeah, that's true. Or, hey, I'm an alcoholic. Okay, yeah, they can get that. I can say, hey, but you say, well, I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. Like, whatever, man, it, you can't, that ain't, you know, you can control that. That's not addiction or 
You know, that's not really a sin. They're not hurting anybody, but it is. It's, it's a sin. It's a sin just as big, if not bigger, than the rest of them. So don't be ashamed. Uh, don't be embarrassed. You'll never know who you're going to be able to help. I mean, since I shared my testimony at CR, that was the first place I publicly got up. There was three or four people came up to me afterwards, struggled with it. We were coming back from the third or fourth men conference once. And I just happened to mention that I struggled with it in the van and that I gave my testimony. And this guy I'd known for a long time, when we get back, he just tells me, he's like, man, I struggle with it too. He said, I've never told anybody. And I sat and talked with him. Um, tell somebody that they will help you. Tell you somebody that you can trust will hold you accountable. Uh, the next thing is get some kind of software to put on your computer. Give somebody else the rights and stuff to that where you can't look at it. Take away those temptations. You've got to take steps because just praying about it and asking God to forgive you, sometimes that's, that's not enough. You've got to step up and do something else. Yeah, I think just from that, that's a good point because um, there's software also that goes on like your mobile phone as well. And that's something we have a couple of church computers. Um, actually, Troy, uh, on my computer, it's called Accountability to You or something like that. And uh, I mean, I'm not joking. I think one time I searched uh, a place called like Cummings, Georgia, and it like sent him a notification. You know what I mean? It's just very. It's okay. very sensitive. Very sensitive. All the time. And, uh, but we do that for accountability. I mean, so anytime. Uh, you know, something crazy, it goes to Troy. And so what that means is I can't hide it. I can't go back and erase it. Um, and you don't, maybe, maybe you don't realize this, but people in your life, they need you to be pure. Like you guys might not even know this, but like you need your pastor to be pure. I need it for my wife, my little boy, my, my baby girl. And so there, there are things that you can do to really, you know, again, Troy said, you know, that, that's not going to solve everything, but there are certainly steps you can take to help um, prevent that. And so I guess, what would you say, Troy, just finally, is what do you feel like God has, you know, shown you through all this, through your sin, through this fault, through this failure? I mean, obviously, you know, he's blessed you with a great wife, good kids. You know, she was faithful to you, and ever since the Word stood by you. Um, you feel like God forgave you, you've been healed, you know, as, you, uh, you know, this side of um, the struggle. What have you learned about God through this sin? I think the biggest thing is just how patient he is and uh, how understanding and how he'll put people in your life to help you. I mean, you know, I struggle with this one particular thing that, man, I'm the only one that feels this way. Man, I'm the only one that looks at this way. And, you know, as soon as I, I really, truly confessed to him and other people, I found out I wasn't the only one. He already had, just like the fishing story, he already had people in my life that were there ready to help me, people I'd known my whole life that I would have never imagined. So, And that, that just showed me, he's like, hey, He's, he said, I knew one day he was going to come around. I, these other guys went through this so they could help you one day. And I think the same is true today. I know there's somebody out there struggling um, that needs help. Come talk to me. If you, you, know, if you want to remain anonymous, we're going to put my email address up on the screen here in a minute. Email me. You know, you can go set up a fake email address. It's 12345yahoo.com, so I don't know who you are. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, send Peyton an email. through. Our, I'm sure we got a contact link on our website, and you'll get you in touch with me. I'd like to do anything I can to help. Um, that's what God put us on this earth to do, is to help others and worship him. And uh, sometimes, you know, the stuff you go through is just so you can fulfill that. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Well, listen, maybe you've heard Troy's story, and you can relate. Maybe you're a woman in here. And you know the secret that nobody else knows, that your husband's struggling. 
Maybe you're a woman in here and you're feeling ashamed and guilty because you're the one who's viewing it. What I want us each to know as we just kind of close this thing out and fixing to go to a time of reflection is that God's grace is enough to cover all sin. I mean, either what Jesus did on the cross was enough or it wasn't. And we happen to believe here at City Lots that it, that it is enough. Not only was it, but it is. So this, the same grace that covers this story of pornography addiction is the same grace who covers this pastor with the former drug addiction. It's the same grace that's willing to be extended to you this morning. Though not everyone here struggles with pornography, by a show of hands, can we all agree that there are temptations in our life that distract us from who God wants us to be? In the New Testament, a man named Paul, who was a church planner, he was a murderer of Christians before God changed his heart. He wrote to a church in Corinth. And I want you to listen to what he said about temptation. He said, the temptations, plural, because there's normally just more than one thing that gets in the way. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. So it might be said like this, you're not going through anything that nobody else has not gone through. Look, and God is faithful. Aren't you glad that God is faithful? When your faith is less, he is faithful. And God is faithful. Listen to this. We need to, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. I want to clarify that the temptation on its own is way more than you can handle. You, on your own, myself, can't handle the temptation. So when you say God won't put anything on me I can't handle, you better make sure that you're saying it right. Without God, I can't handle anything. So he says, he will not allow you He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. But look, when you are tempted, because it's going to come, it's going to happen, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Sometimes that way out is just to turn the computer off. Sometimes it's just not to take the next look at the pretty woman walking by. If you're a female, sometimes it's not to envy the other marriage where the husband seems like he has it all together. Whatever your temptation, whatever it is, we all raised our hands in here this morning and said that there's something that distracts us from knowing God or being all he wants. Let's agree this, that the right fix is Jesus. The right fix is Jesus. Not temporary pleasure, satisfaction, or unrealistic expectations or fantasy. Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, you're incredible. 
And you are patient. God, you are long-suffering. You are faithful. God, here sit a group of people in this room who by a show of hands all admit that there are things in our life that distract us from you. And God, that you would give us the boldness that you've given Troy to step up on the spotlight and to share, to share our story with those, God, that we would confess that sin, that we would confess the temptation that distracts us. God, that we would walk boldly and victoriously, that we would know that there's no condemnation in you, so no matter how deep into pornography we are, no matter how deep into greed or lust or whatever our, our hang-up is, God, that the right fixes you and that your grace covers all sins. God, we now just take a moment to pray for those who are listening that if there is a struggle, that they would reach out to someone, that they would see pornography is not a victimless crime. God, it hurts children. It destroys marriages. It sets unrealistic expectations. And it's completely against your boundaries. Jesus, you're the right fix. It's in Jesus' name we pray.